Welcome to Cinemazing Chats, Episode 4, Spider-Man 3. I'm Pablo, and I'm here with Erica. Hi. Um, yeah, this is Episode 4, but it's Spider-Man 3! <laughs> Probably the most reviled in that series, even though, like, up to that point had been pretty good. Oh, yeah, so a little bit of background on why we chose uh, Spider-Man 3 is because Pablo really likes Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, the series had been pretty solid up to this point. Like, Spider-Man 2 is really good. But also, we love the the, the pie scene. Oh, yeah, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, this movie is so good. But yeah, so this movie starts with the third logo ser- sequence in the series. Um, they always start with, like, a CGI, like, fap fest of, like, weird webs and, like, CGI bullshit. And this one had, like, the little Venom symbiote crawling along. Oh, yeah, I took the credits uh, with all the webs to be the web of lies tying all the characters together. Oh, yeah, this entire movie is all about um, Peter Parker and all the other characters' web of deceit and lies. All their, like, entanglements. <laughs> I was actually thinking, like, an an accurate um, description of this movie could be, like, uh, a tale full of lust and attempted murder. Like, that's kind of what happens in this movie. Yeah, I was thinking it's a soap opera. Yeah, or it's almost like a K-drama. It's basically the soap opera of Mary Jane and And James Franco. (laughs) Okay, so... So yeah, this sort of continues the story of the other two movies, which, um, like in history, Spider-Man, the original one, was sort of like the film that revived the superhero genre after, like, uh, Batman and Robin sort of had killed it for a little bit. Like, they kept trying to make other films, and they were all shitty in a way. Oh yeah, when this series, this trilogy started in, like, 2000, or... Yeah, well, it started right after 2001, like, it came out in 2002, and that's why the first movie is sort of, like, jingoistic, and it has all these scenes of, like, New Yorkers cheering on and everything. America. And to be fair, I do think it has an interesting place in film history as a series that did sort of coincide with War on Terror and all that. So, like, some of the patriotism, I think, is sort of justified in a way. It probably helped the popularity of the film. Hmm, but then by Spider-Man 3, which came out in 2007, we were all very disappointed in the franchise. Yeah, and actually it was weird because the sequel itself, uh, Spider-Man 2, was a really good high watermark for superhero films. It sort of had a really interesting villain in Alfred Molina's uh, Dr. Octopus. He like brought a lot of good menace and like was clearly having fun in the role. Whereas in this film, we have sort of a really dour Sandman. He's like a father who's just trying to help his kid. He just wants his kid back. The dour sand. <laughs> yeah. And then Venom, who just doesn't work on any level, in my opinion. Well, when does uh, Peter Parker kill James uh, Franco slash Harry's dad? Right. So sort of a history of the films. In the first movie, they sort of adapt um, a lot from the 60s series of comics uh, when it was originally written by Stan Lee and like Steve Ditko was the original comic book artist. And he like contributed a lot to the design of Spider-Man, like sort of created his whole look from nowhere. But you can also sort of see that Spider-Man was inspired by, like, some of these Pulp Fiction characters, like the spider. His whole gimmick was he had, like, a ring that he punched, like, evildoers to leave a spider imprint on their head. (coughs) Um, So in the first movie, he fights the Green Goblin, and that was Spider-Man's main arch nemesis or whatever. He has very similar powers, but he has, like, a green palette, whereas Spider-Man is, like, this bright primary red and blue. It's, like, very contrasting. 
Yep. So it's all about how uh, Peter Parker gains these powers and his friend, James Franco, who plays Harry Osborn, how his father turns into the Green Goblin, who will come to fuck around Spider-Man, basically. Yes. But basically, Green Goblin ends up dead. Harry wants revenge. And then they really play up the fact that for a bit, he doesn't know that... Peter Parker killed his dad, I guess? Well, no, like, so Spider-Man 2 sort of follows the whole thread where Harry's, like, all pissed off at um, Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, I got confused. Harry gets amnesia in this movie and forgets all of that. And so he's like, oh, my best friend, Peter Parker. (laughs) Right, so in Spider-Man 2, they actually get into, like, several altercations, like, both verbal and physical, where uh, Harry's like, I can't believe you keep defending uh, the guy who murdered my father, Spider-Man. So then, at the end, Dr. Octopus brings him in, like, to be killed by Harry or whatever, and he pulls off the mask to reveal it's Peter Parker. It's just like, what the fuck? Wow, this is really a tale of, this really is a Count of Monte Cristo tale, since... Peter Parker wears a mask and wants revenge for Uncle Ben. Yeah, and that one, Spider-Man 2 sort of adapted um, all the storylines where uh, Peter Parker decides not to be Spider-Man for a while. There's been like several different iterations, but the most famous one was like uh, also from the, I guess, the 70s. Oh, wait, I said he wore a mask because I was thinking of the man of the Iron Mask. (laughs) Sorry. Wait, who? I thought the Count of Monte Cristo was the man in the iron mask. (laughs) Anyways, no, yeah, ignore the mask part. They introduce uh, Mary Jane in the comics, and she's, like, this very, like, beat-centric, like, uh, she calls Peter Parker dad all the time. She's like, let's go on a ride on your moped, dad, or whatever like that. What? (laughs) Yeah, she's like, don't be such a... slang back then? Yeah, don't be such a square, Peter, Petey. Wow. That's where all the tiger, like, references come from. Oh, this was before nerds were cool, so he's a square. Right, and she's like a free-spirited hippie. And also in the movie series up to this point, I thought Kirsten Dunst had been playing her, like, really sympathetically. This film sold her character out in a way. The whole point of Mary Jane is she's very, like, happy-go-lucky and freewheeling and stuff. Oh, yeah, this one, she's a huge Debbie Downer. Yeah, she's just, like, brooding and obsessive. She's the square. (laughs) but yeah we also said this film really riffs on the whole thing about uh like temptation or whatever like everyone this movie sort of tempted to be their like worst selves and they sort of give into it that's what takes them all down like this is a really limited cast it's basically peter parker toby Maguire, uh mary jane kirsten dunce james franco plays harry osborne sandman is played by thomas hayden church and then venom is topher grace and then there's aunt may uh rosemary harris yeah no there's like a ton of famous people in here oh and then gwen stacy but somehow all the same like handful of people are like the entire city of new york like they keep running into each other like (laughs) james cromwell the police chief will be in the street and then topher grace will just happen to run up next to him And, like, those are the only characters you see over and over again. This movie introduces um, Eddie Brock after sort of referencing him for a second in the first movie. Which, yeah. If you want to see Topher Grace in a truly horrific role, you should check this out. Yeah, and this take is definitely, like, inspired by the Ultimate Spider-Man line, which is, uh, like, the reboot that Marvel did in the 2000s. In that version, 
uh, Peter Parker and Eddie Brock are actually like raised together, sort of, and their parents like work on the symbiote like suit together. It's like their big project. So wow. I would say the physical appearance of Eddie Brock is definitely taken from those comics, at least. They're meant to be more like rivals, like um, sort of both smart, similar mm. power set, and all that. Well, in this film. Eddie Brock is sort of like obsessive and like lot and a compulsive liar. The faults of this movie mainly derive from the fact that they're trying to squash together two very disparate ideas. Like one is um, Sam Raimi continuing like to play in sort of the Stanley Steve Ditko original universe with all the stuff about the Green Goblin and Sandman and uh, Doctor Octopus. I'd say it comes from that era. Whereas I think the producer, Avi Arad, sort of um, wanted them to include the 80s-ish Venom character and all that stuff about the black suit. That sort of makes the tone really dark where it doesn't necessarily need to be. Like, it should be light and fluffy like the other two films were, whereas this one, like, skews it way darker for no apparent reason. It tries to be grim and gritty and shit. Yeah, this film represents the height of emo culture. Well, yeah, so basically we begin Spider-Man 3 knowing that Peter Parker and his best friend hates him, but he is dating Mary Jane now, so he's finally, quote-unquote, gotten the girl. That was another thing that made the last movie so compelling, is it's had that whole will-they-won't-they thing between Peter and Mary Jane. And now that they're actually together, they're terrible. Yeah, that's what the writers (laughs) always do on these things. They're like, well, now that they're together, we gotta break them up for some contrived reason. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and also we know that... Uncle Ben's killer is safely behind bars, or so we thought. This whole movie basically starts with Peter on, like, an upswing, like, everything's going really right for him finally, like, they're throwing him parades, everyone loves Spider-Man, they're, like, sick of how great he is. (laughs) Oh yeah, it's really going to his head, Tobey Maguire makes all these, like, silly kind of hammy faces throughout this film, and he's really eating up the limelight. I think you can sort of trace this along the lines of the other really great Sam Raimi movies, like the whole Evil Dead series, and of course Dark Man from the 90s was his first take on comic book character. That was his original character. Um, actually, he's kind of like the cobbler. He like switched faces with people using elaborate masks, and his oh, own God. face is horribly disfigured. So you can see in that movie, like he takes a lot of the style directly from that one movie, I guess, and transposes it over. All the stuff with like the really tight angle shots, uh, like the jump cuts and all that stuff, the really tight editing, tricks with sound and effects, that that all comes directly for the Evil Dead. Hmm. So Spider-Man is actually a college student, but we only ever see him in one class in the very beginning to establish that he's classmates with Gwen Stacy, who is this other attractive lady who is not Mary Jane, and she's the daughter of the police chief. So he's supposed to be like, going to school, but also working at the Daily Bugle, being a journalist, and also dating Mary Jane, and also Harry hating him. That's kind of his life. Right, and Gwen Stacy comes directly from the comics, too. Um, Actually, in that original arc where she's introduced, her position's kind of inverted. She's in the position that Mary Jane occupies in this movie, where she's all jealous of Peter's attention towards Mary Jane. It's almost Mm. like the Archie, Betty, and Veronica situation again. Oh, gosh. And of course, every comic book fan worth his salt knows that Gwen Stacy dies after the Green Goblin kidnaps her and throws her off a bridge, which they sort of transposed that scene to Spider-Man 1, only made it Mary Jane instead, and she doesn't die. Damn. Yeah. Too bad. (laughs) 
Yeah, so you can see a lot of sort of references to that, the way Gwen Stacy's introduced. She's sort of falling. Spider-Man has to go through all this wreckage to save her. Her dad, Captain Stacy, is directly below uh, James Cromwell, like you said. Oh, right. And the connection is that Eddie Brock, who, who's played by Topher Grace, works at the Daily Bugle and is competing with Peter there. And so, and he's also once... Uh, Gwen Stacy to date him and he cl- he tells her dad just right away oh yeah I'm dating your daughter just <laughs> pretty delusional <laughs> yeah so they introduce some threads about how um, Eddie might be delusional you see the same story is told later by Gwen only the way she makes it sound they just like went out for a simple coffee right Gwen's like we're not dating so clearly his version of reality is different from hers the first major plot scene in this film is the Mary Jane concert No, the first major plot scene in this film is the scene that introduces the alien Venom symbiote. Um, Basically, Peter and Mary Jane are just like happily making out in a web hammock thing, basically, in a web net. And then you see in the background the uh, asteroid crash down, and then the ooze comes out and attaches itself to his little scooter there. Mary Jane, basically, we're establishing that she needs a lot of affirmation from Peter. (laughs) And so they're like out in the woods, like making out like you, uh, they're making out like you said. And she says, tell me you love me. She's ordering him to tell her he loves her. And she just loves the audience clapping for her applauding. Um, Anyway, so her and Peter have a very similar need for like the public's affection or people's affection because he want he really likes being affirmed as Spider-Man. But yeah, then in that moment, of course, when they're out alone, Venom latches on to uh, something. So it's almost like Raimi puts him on this like high pedestal so that they can make the fall precipitous, like by the end when everyone's like doing horrible things. Oh, yes. <laughs> we also have Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, I'm pretty sure Sam Raimi just snatched him up after Sideways so that he could play the <laughs> Sandman. Yep, he's a pretty sad Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> Originally, uh, Sam Raimi had wanted the villains of this movie to be the Sandman and the Vulture, who was another like classic era Spider-Man villain. Basically, this old man who like flies around on metal wings. <laughs> wow. Oh, and John Malkovich was originally attached to play the Vulture. Wow. I mean, they get three or four villains out of this movie, depending on how you look at it. You could yeah. say Harry, Eddie, Venom, and Sandman. Yeah, it's way overstuffed. Um, <laughs> so basically, we find out that Sandman is this uh, horribly sympathetic burglar and bank robber. His daughter is like, Daddy, please come back or something. Of course, just all sad and has a terminal illness of some kind that he needs money to pay for her treatment. Yeah, he's doing it all for his daughter. And she has some unspecified horrible disease. Yeah, and he got out of he broke out of prison or to find her. Right, and then of course um, the wife character is barely a character, although the daughter doesn't do much better. She's just sort of there to be a device. Yeah, there for like two seconds just to be like, oh, he has a family too. He's he's a parallel to Peter Parker. And introduces the sick kid locket, which will be like a visual motif attached to the Sandman for the rest of the movie. Wait, but he was imprisoned for killing Uncle Ben? Well, no, I think at the start of the movie he got caught for some other crime, and then somehow Captain Stacy and his department like figured out that uh, the people that the person they thought had killed Uncle Ben wasn't really the killer. Oh, right, and that's when they call Peter in to be like, retcon! Yeah, it's like a huge retcon. 
Like probably the biggest one in any of these films. Yeah, so they even get the original guy from the first movie who you think killed Uncle Ben and they edit the scene and put Thomas Hayden Church in there. Yeah, there's some really bizarre, like, uh, stylized flashback sequences that show what might have happened. Uh, Sandman, like, blowing away Uncle Uncle Ben with relish. (laughs) And then, of course, by the end, you realize that those were, like, uh, just Peter Parker's exaggerated imaginings and that it had just been an accident. Yeah, he gets to explain himself, of course. This does kind of continue the trend, like, from the first movie, Norman Osborn isn't really a bad guy, he just like, sort of got caught up in his sp- science experiment, and then, then of course Dr. Octopus, same thing. He's not even yeah. in control of his actions, and this one, uh, another sympathetic villain. So, I do think Raimi's always really attentive to having the viewer understand all the sides. That's kind of a major mm. theme of this one. Yes, exactly. They're like, from my point of view, the Jedi are the evil ones. Yeah, they're always insulting the Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Jedi. Oh yeah, we learned that Aunt May is trying to force marriage on Peter. Oh yeah, Aunt May. (laughs) She's like, give her this ring. But it's not the sexy Aunt May from the the new movies. (laughs) It's Rose Harris, who plays like the perfect old classic Aunt May, who's always in fear of death. (laughs) Passing around life lessons. Yeah, you can see why Peter Parker is worried about his Aunt May. Yeah, so she just uh, implores Peter to hold something special in front of her, but it's not his penis, it's a ring. It's her ring from when she got <laughs> married to Uncle Ben. She tells like the whole embarrassing engagement story. Yeah, the whole tale of her and Uncle Ben's romance. I don't even <laughs> remember what it was anymore. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> something contrived, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, and I should say that I think most of the crew who worked on the other two movies continued on to this one. Uh, Bill Pope, I think, was cinematographer on all three. And although Danny Elfman didn't do the soundtrack on this one, it was like one of the people who worked with him. And then I think he helped out on some of the motifs. Oh, yeah. Well, there is uh, there's a lot of like really fast editing, like uh after the aunt, after he gets the ring from Aunt May, that he gets attacked by Harry as the second Green Goblin, and just like a lot of like really, it's like scene after scene of chase sequence or falling while fighting. And actually, I would say um, this movie has probably the best uh, special effects of the three, and definitely has the most action. And I don't know, everything looks way more photorealistic. Uh, just the advance of technology, I would say. So they have, like, Harry, for example, wearing this ridiculous, like, extreme sports outfit, but you can also see that's clearly a human. It's not just, like, a puppet or, like, a cartoon at this point. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it's just edited all really quickly so that, like, I had to really pay attention to take note of each scene or else, you know, I'd be gone in a second. Yeah, but then that's the other benefit is, like, you have these young guys who are game to, like, do most of their own stunts or, like, probably a good portion. Like, you have Peter going to propose to Mary Jane wearing his, like, best suit and stuff like that. (laughs) To, like, the spider costume. Oh, yeah, so there's a lot of property damage when they fight, of course, throughout this. And also, yeah, like, Harry... So Harry took Green Goblin serum, right? Because he gets hit in, like, every possible spot in this film. Harry gets really beat up. And yet he survives. So the last major scene in Spider-Man 2 heavily implies that he took the serum. Like he just shows up to um, what's supposed to be Mary Jane's wedding. But then she doesn't show. Yeah, that's what happened in the second movie. She's a runaway bride. Oh, no. That's also from the comics. Um, It's J. Jonah Jameson's son, uh, the astronaut, 
John Jameson. Ah. And actually, I think in the cartoon version of the Venom storyline, like he's the astronaut that brings the symbiote back to Earth. Like it's like attached to a suit or something like oh, that. Oh my god! Of course. Yeah, actually, there's a way better animated version of this whole storyline, like in the ni- from the '92 cartoon. It's way more satisfying. <laughs> so these two are trying their level best to kill each other. Uh, Spider-Man's pulling out all his good moves, like he does that web catapult thing he always does, where he like launches himself at things. Uh, and all like, the while, Harry's uh, hoverboarding. Yeah, Harry has like a Silver <laughs> Surfer type thing, and he's just like <laughs> flying around, uh, throwing his uh, goblin bombs and shit. Going through like narrow alleyways of New York. But yeah, finally, Peter outwits him, like throwing out a single strand of webbing, like knocking him down, horribly injuring him, and then he gets convenient amnesia. Yeah, he gets short, specifically short-term memory amnesia. So he remembers that Peter is his best friend from childhood, but he doesn't remember any of the recent happenings. <laughs> oh, and also in this, there's also a Sandman chase scene in all this because they're kind of interspersing um, Thomas Hayden Church's story with everyone else's story and just going back and forth r- willy-nilly. And Sandman has a chase scene where he punches a police dog. The whole movie keeps, like, um, switching back and forth until the end. They've chased the Sandman out onto this, like, science experiment that's for some reason being done out in the open to transform sand. I don't know. I don't even know what they're trying to do. I had to look it up. It's a particle accelerator. I don't know why they're (laughs) doing that to sand. Yeah, it's some, like, gamma radiation Hulk bullshit. (laughs) So they just, like, pull a switch, and Sandman happens to, like, have hopped the fence right there. So so he gets, like, bonded with the sand. Yeah, I don't know what it was supposed to be like. It's embedded in his DNA now. And the stupid scientists are like, oh, there's some weight on it. It's probably just a pigeon. Why don't we activate it anyway? Making yes. sand pigeons. They're, yeah, they're sort of like, oh, what's that blip? Oh, probably just a pigeon. Yeah, so we, we were like, how many pigeons have they turned into Sandman? Sand pigeons. Pidgeys! <laughs> so then it switches back to... Um switches back to Gwen Stacy who's like making... who's like modeling for a photography like campaign and uh suddenly some crane like randomly goes out of control like it has nothing to do with anything oh yeah i thought maybe sandman was controlling this crane for a second because they show him getting his sand powers in the scene before and then all of a sudden there's just a crazy crane there's just a crane going all over the place yeah there's like a ridiculous crane accident that like shears through a building causing like the floor to start to collapse captain stacy arrives and there's like a sort of a visual reference to uh the fact that in the comics he gets killed by like falling debris then you have Topher grace introduced as eddie brock yeah and just that he had the audacity to just go up to her dad and be like and say uh i'm dating your daughter so he's taking pictures while she's Gwen's supposed to be modeling for a photo shoot, but she's a college student and the daughter of the police chief. I'm so confused. The next scene is when um, Harry Osborne wakes up in the bed and he has the convenient amnesia and Mary Jane and Peter are there and there's just like sort of awakening with him. And just being oh, like, he's hey, like, buddy. you're my best friends. He's yeah, he's really all like, happy. I know that face. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I love you guys. They're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like a really cheesy over the top scene. 
<laughs> and Franco's like having fun with it, just like being Yeah, campy. he's really Oh yeah, he's super campy. So then we get the Sandman student art film, which does actually have like a pretty good song underneath it, like whatever the Sandman theme is, and it's just showing off Sony's <laughs> massive EP. Yeah, there's sand CGI of him transforming, like they zoom in on the cellular level and then go- zoom out and he's his whole body is transforming and he has this emotional face made of sand. It's George Lucas's worst nightmare, just like all the sand. Yeah, Anakin hates sand. But yeah, the physics of his sand is a little weird. Like, he seems to be able... So he's bonded with the sand that was in the pit, but he seems to be able to sort of... um, He can become corporeal or incorporeal. Like, you can punch through him, but he can also be hard enough to pick up his daughter's locket. And then also he can draw sand from the environment and add it to his body. Yeah, he, like, struggles to give birth to himself. Yes. No, it's basically what the scene is. He's, like, struggling to, like, come into being. Oh, It's like an existential, abstract student art film. (laughs) A sand star is born. Yeah, a sandman is born. But I was also like, where's all the Linkin Park and Creed that should be under this? Or, like, another Nickelback song. Yeah, more Nickelback. So yeah, that's juxtaposed with Mary Jane being really annoying and saying, this isn't about you, this is about me to Peter in the next scene. I'm not even sure what they're arguing about. Yeah, out of nowhere, like, Mary Jane's super pissed about everything. And she's like, you're so obsessed with Spider-Man. Yeah, in the last scene she was like, tell me you love me, I need so much attention. And now she's like, ugh, Peter, shut up about Spider-Man. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, wasn't I great in this fucking musical that I was in? (laughs) Doesn't everyone love me? Oh, I I also thought it was funny that um, Peter Parker read her a critic review, and Mary Jane said, it's like my father wrote the words, so she thinks that the critic sounds like her dad, so she has some daddy issues. Yeah, of course she has daddy issues as well. Yeah, but then there's an actual joke. Um, Peter says, go get him, Tiger, like, all hopefully. So there is some, like, intentional good humor in this. Uh, and then the construction scene happens with the rogue construction equipment almost killing Gwen Stacy. Oh, and then it's significant that um, in this movie, Gwen Stacy sort of just a minor offside character who Peter's just, like, sort of using for his own benefit. Whereas uh, in the Amazing Spider-Man reboot, she becomes his, like, main romantic lead. Yeah, I feel like in this film, if you didn't know anything about the comics, you would be you would wonder where did that girl come from? Oh, right, she was in that one college class scene in the very beginning. Yeah, kind of like forget about her, but then she's she does need to be saved in that rogue construction. And I would say um, Bryce Dallas Howard does a really good job of sort of emulating the look of Gwen Stacy from the comic, like that's very much her classic look with like the hair and like the hairband. But Emma Stone did a way better job of capturing her actual character. Hmm. She is sympathetic, though, even though she doesn't have much to do. She's just the random, like, classmate, uh, part-time model, apparently, who keeps popping up in Peter's life. Yeah, (laughs) part-time model slash classmate who provides someone for Mary Jane to get annoyed about. Another annoying thing is that even though there are a lot of action scenes in this movie, most of them are just the basic, a girl is imperiled sort of thing. Like, it gets kind of stupid by the end. 
Yeah, the what the links they went through to get Gwen Stacy imperiled in the first place, like having that construction equipment just bang through the like top floor of that <laughs> giant sky rise. So then we have another scene uh, in the Daily Bugle. All the stuff with yeah. like the newspaper like hijinks, more shtick for um, Juno's dad to play off. Yep, J.K. Simmons probably gets one one of the only good roles, which is like a comedic role. Oh yeah, he's always been great in these movies. Like he's the perfect embodiment of that character. Like exactly like as if he left off the page. Yeah, he has like his character is ridiculous though. He has tons of meds on his desk, and then yes. the assistant has to tell him when he needs to take all his meds during the day. And they just spills the pills all over the desk. I think this is Elizabeth Banks like breakout role. Um, and Betty Brandt oh, in the comic. Betty. Yeah, and Betty Brandt in the comic is actually Peter's first girlfriend. Uh, but they never really followed oh that storyline here. Yeah, no. <laughs> I wrote down one of the things that um, that JJ says is stickum. Like he just breaks out the word stickum as if that's a regular word to say. Wow. I wrote that. Stan Lee says to Peter Parker, one person can make a difference. Yeah, we have the cameo from Stan Lee, which is another thing that um, the later MCU movies sort of uh, continued. Like every MCU movie has a Stan Lee cameo and sort of so did like the Spider-Man and X-Men series. But also um, starting the movies, they have that little Marvel logo thing. Oh, yeah. Well, I was like, well, because he says one person can make a difference, but he doesn't say if that difference is good or bad. Oh, yeah. Everyone could make a horrible difference. So he could be talking about you could be a hero or a villain. Yes, he's like, I always like that Doc Ock. <laughs> yeah, he made a huge difference. But yeah, he also says enough said, which is sort of Stanley's catchphrase. Then we have the scene where um, Peter goes to hang out with uh, Harry Osborn for no particular reason. And terrible old Bernard is there, the fucking, like, uh, manservant <laughs> of the Osbournes. The yeah. Who knew the entire time that Spider-Man was innocent and never said anything to Harry. <laughs> and he could have just said it easily at the beginning of the movie, but no one ever just says the fucking thing that they need to say. This The other person won't be confused. Yeah, Bernard doesn't do much until the end. So anyway, Peter goes there and they throw the old basketball around like you do. But this accidentally causes a vase to be knocked over. Uh, and Harry, like, has super fast reflexes and catches it. He's like, whoa. <laughs> so Spider-Man's kind of an idiot in this scene, basically. Yeah. So I would say everything in this movie kind of hates MJ. Because the next scene, MJ gets fired <laughs> from her singing job, her short tenure. Oh. She, like, goes there and it's really cold. They just, like, have some other actress singing. <laughs> Her part. I thought that was actually pretty funny, even though you're supposed to feel bad for her because she had just been so needy of the attention from the audience. And then to just have her, the irony of having her show up and just someone else is already singing and they're just like, oh, sorry, is <laughs> pretty cruel. So whereas Toby Maguire's Peter Parker's uh, on the upswing, I would say that Mary Jane sort of starts this movie like in a position of everything's being swept out from under her. Yes. She was the cool one until she started dating square Peter Parker. Oh yeah, it's Peter who brought her down somehow. That is juxtaposed with Spider-Man getting the key to the city while she's just gotten fired from her Broadway play. MJ, um, so the producers are like, fuck you, MJ, you're out, basically. And they're like, this actress puts out... (laughs) 
So MJ walks outside and suddenly all these people are applauding her. And of course, she somehow thinks that they're applauding for her. So she's like, oh, you shouldn't have. Oh, you love me. But of course, because Spider-Man's being given the key to the city. So we have the second parade in this series, but thankfully no fucking Macy Gray this time. And then permit-pissed Mary Jane is there again, and Peter's like, are you doing okay? And she's like, I'm fine. No, really. Yeah, it was pretty funny psyching her out with the applause for a second. She was like, oh, me? And then, nope, <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> um, yeah, Harry's at the key ceremony. To charm Mary Jane, of course, because he's always around charming Mary Jane and threatening to draw her away from Peter. Right, there's a contrived triangle uh, because Mary Jane and Harry uh, had dated in the first movie. And then conveniently, as if Spider-Man didn't... Oh, I guess maybe he didn't know... Peter Parker didn't know that Mary Jane was in the audience, but he just is like... I'm going to kiss Gwen Stacy on stage upside down like I did Mary Jane in the first movie or whenever that was. Oh, no, he definitely does. They have that whole scene where they're like talking and she's all like, I'm fine. And then he's like, "Okay, I got to go perform. And then Harry's there to like pick up the pieces. And then, yeah, uh, as Spider-Man, he just thinks it's okay to just be to just kiss Gwen Stacy. And MJ is pissed. Yes. And then we learn the most it coolest power of the Sandman is that he can fly. He can like fly in as sand and make a sandstorm all over the place. We had seen how Sandman was sort of um, being pursued by the police and he like pops out of this like sand truck. It's, like, <laughs> He's absorbed all, all this sand. Yeah. yeah, so he's discovering how powerful he is, how you can never kill sand. But it turns out he's just trying to steal money from an armored car to save his daughter. <laughs> a Spider-Man tries to punch him, because of course that's going to work. Yeah. So yeah, you see the physics of this, how you can't kill sand, and yet they keep trying to like punch him, and yeah, it's pretty weird. Yeah, there are some good action beats in this sequence, though. Spider-Man's pushed out of the truck, and he has to, like, swing around on the streets, weaving in and out of the cars uh, using his web. And then, of course, Sandman flies off. Uh, Spider-Man is, like, knocked down a peg from his hubristic start. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's true. It's his, um... It cuts him down during his uh, key ceremony. Peter wants to propose to Mary Jane, and then Bruce Campbell's there again. Oh, wait, I want to say that uh, at the, sorry, after the Spider-Man chase scene, Spider-Man has sand bits all in his suit, and he's, like, emptying out his suit. (laughs) So, you know the Sandman really gets in all your crevices and feels you up. Oh, yes, the Sandman's always getting everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, the Sandman gets everywhere. Oh, and yeah, in the last sequence with the parade, um, I also wanted to mention that uh, anytime we hear the Spidey theme, it's always diegetic which means it's part of the scene uh, in the first movie. was a street performer, and the second movie is this Yoko Ono-type person. And this one's just a whole brass band. Oh, during the parade. Yeah. Peter Parker wants to propose to Mary Jane, and Bruce Campbell's in the scene playing like, this ridiculous French waiter. And He's the mater d'. Peter has to set up with him, like, I want to bring out the ring and have wine and all, or champagne and all this shit. And Bruce Campbell is uh, a longtime collaborator, Sam Raimi. He's in all the Evil Dead films, and now currently in the Evil Dead show. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and he gets the other funny part with J.K. Simmons. Oh, yeah, Bruce Campbell always has hilarious cameos in these movies. Yeah, so I would say pretty much Bruce Campbell and J.K. Simmons got the best writing or the most interesting characters, to be honest. Yeah, the most, like, witty, funny things to do. 
Yeah, exactly. Oh, and Raimi, like, had fully expected going into this movie to make a fourth movie, if not a fifth and a sixth one. So he had all these ideas, like Bruce Campbell could turn out to be Mysterio, who's this character in the comics who's an actor who's always um, using special effects to fool everyone. Oh, yeah, there was a funny scene with, well, yeah, with, so after he gets everything set up with Bruce Campbell, Peter Parker is talking to himself at the table, um, like, pre- he's pretending that Mary Jane's on the other side of the table and practicing what he's going to say. So he's like, yeah. oh, how did that get in there? <laughs> <laughs> I do think Toby brings a lot of, like, good humanity to this role. Like, definitely his scenes with Aunt May are pretty good for just, like, laying down some emotional stakes. By this third point in this series, people watching this should care about the characters. So I think Raimi did a good job with that. I guess he does make a lot of awkward faces. I don't know. Because he was also mouthing um, Mary Jane's words during her Broadway play. So he's just sort of amped up about Mary Jane, I guess. Right. And then I'd say also Tobey Maguire gets like a lot of good uh, little act- um, like comedic action scenes to play out. Like he's always uh, seems willing to like put a little bit of humor into this. Yeah. So they have a whole fight. Mary Jane accuses him of not caring about her career and all this stuff. It escalates quickly. Because Gwen happened to be at the restaurant, so that sets off her jealousy. Yeah, Peter's like, uh, Spider-Man's kind of a big deal. And she's like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> but we all feel the same way. Fame is getting to his head. He's uh, getting too big for his britches. <laughs> He keeps getting knocked down, uh, first by Sandman, now he's on the rocks with Mary Jane, and then the next scene we have this horrible retcon, which is easily my, like, least favorite scene in this series. It's a pretty funny scene. Yeah, it's this horrible flashback. Peter gets called in by Gwen Stacy's father, Captain Stacy, and he tells him all this new information, like, uh, we were wrong about your Uncle Ben's killer, it's really this other guy, this guy you just met, the Sandman. This escaped convict guy, yeah. Wait, do they know he's sand? Is that why, are they telling him that he's sand? No, I don't think the police have anything to do with any of that. <laughs> oh, Spider-Man's okay. the only man on this job. Okay. Everyone's also just like, it's fucking sand, you can't kill sand. So yes, he realizes that the Sandman is the convict. We see Uncle Ben and Peter's imagining him helping this guy who like shoots him. So now we have another theme of like revenge and obsession uh, that we've seen James Franco sort of uh, carry out. And now Peter's getting obsessed. Yeah, he's fuming. So he's ignoring on the police scanner other people's emergencies, just trying to look for the Sandman. MJ shows up and she's the most sympathetic she is in the entire movie, just being like, even Spider-Man needs help, let me help. He's like, uh... Has he been infected with Venom yet? Is that why he's starting to get sassy? As if almost sensing his uh, emotional turmoil, uh, a CGI effect comes out, uh, the Venom symbiote. It takes over his costume, and then he wakes up, and he's hanging upside down in the new black suit. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it happens once he gets this need for revenge. Yeah, and there's this new horn-heavy evil Spider-Man theme. And I will say about the costume that it is pretty significantly different from how the black costume looks in the comics. And that one's just, like, basically the black... It's just, like, an all-black suit with the Venom-type spider logo. I'd say it looks cooler, but they wanted something different for the movie. Well, I didn't mind the black Venom. I don't know. (laughs) So he takes the symbiote, being like, what the hell is this, to Dr. Connor, his science friend, who in the comics, uh, Mr. Fantastic helps him with the symbiote, but obviously they couldn't use him. 
But also in the black suit, he says, this feels good. So he's feeling this venom. There's a quick montage of um, how he's like enjoying his new powers. They show a series of photos that he's taken. Um, I think that's referencing uh, 80s comic covers of the mm. new, more aggressive Spidey. <laughs> he moves more like a, pre- like a predator, like a Black Panther even. <laughs> he's become a jerk Spidey. Yes. He finds Sandman. He goes to confront him. They have this whole ridiculous fight. Oh, yeah. He pushes his face up against the train. It's another chase scene. Oh, yeah, his face comes off in sand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Spider-Man's like, well, I fucked up not intentionally killing that guy in the first movie, so I'm not going to screw up my second chance. This time you're dead, Sandman. Sort of like the symbiote's influencing yes. him to be more violent and evil. Exactly. Because, um, yeah, as we learn from the guy who analyzes it, is it amp- amplifies your... Aggression or your tendencies, yeah. Oh, and it's kind of like rock, paper, scissors because it's like water beats sand in this scene. <laughs> yeah, they drop down and Sandman <laughs> falls into a puddle. It's basically the witch- wicked witch syndrome. He's like, No, I'm turning into sand goop. Yeah, he turns into a mud man. <laughs> He's like, How could a small amount of water have ever fallen on me? Yeah, and so he is swept out <laughs> to the sewage. <laughs> And this is definitely premeditated Spider-Side. Spider-Man's like, good. His first kill. Yeah, he got got his revenge. End of film. So then while watching the movie, we were joking that he could have killed a bunch of his other enemies, like thinking like, well, I did the first murder and that's the hardest one. And at the end, turns out Sandman's not dead at all. And he's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, my conscience was clean until I killed all those other people. Yeah, so Peter exits. Um... He, like, sweeps his hair dramatically into an emo, perfect, like, little thing, perfectly coiffed. Right. Now that he's killed a man, he gets emo hair that's all sideswept, of course. He isn't paying his rent. (laughs) And all around this, um, we should have mentioned that um, Topher Grace shows up again as Eddie Brock, and he's trying to take photos because JJ set them up on a competition. Whoever takes the best photo of Spider-Man wins a staff position. So um, Eddie's trying to take a picture of him committing a crime and then jerk spider just like breaks his camera because eddie brock hates spider-man i guess since he kissed gwen stacy is that why yeah we find out that revenge is a bitter poison oh my god yeah everyone wants revenge so yeah everyone is falling into this trap Uh, i don't know why mary jane's so pissed uh i guess in the movie we're supposed to just think that um spider-man's just being too full of himself She's just pissed because she's on her period. All the men have real problems to be pissed about. Yes, and then we juxtapose with fun and carefree Franco, who's now hanging out with Mary Jane. They're like, do this ridiculous dance to fucking chubby checkers, just like twisting around, uh, (laughs) making food, even though they sent out Bernard to get food. And then Harry wrote a GD play. Wrote a goddamn play. Oh, yeah. they Yeah, a cooking montage. He wrote her a play, which she loves because she wants to act. It is just beyond romantical. They share an illicit kiss, which is the mirror of Peter and Gwen early in the movie. Oh, yeah. Mary Jane's really down in the dumps. She's, like, working at an established restaurant. It's not that bad. Oh, and uh, Aunt May tries to... Sorry, going back before that, Aunt May tries to fight for Peter Parker's conscience because, or like his soul, because she's like, (laughs) Spider-Man doesn't kill people and makes him feel bad for killing Sandman. Peter's all nonchalantly like, Spider-Man killed Sandman. He's a killer now. I'm glad that he killed that guy. (laughs) And I'm just like, what the fuck? (laughs) 
didn't raise this kid to be like this. Yeah, she's warning him, like, don't go into that. Don't go into the dark side. So anyway, uh, Harry and Mary Jane are making out, but she breaks it Mary off. Jane's gone full dark side, meanwhile. Yeah, she's going dark-sided, uh, but she has a crisis <laughs> of conscience and rushes off uh, with the case of the vapors. <laughs> and Harry's, like, so pissed, so, like, blue-balled that he suddenly remembers <laughs> all about his dad and Willem Dafoe shows again, like, he makes a quick cameo, which is nice of him to keep doing that. Um, which causes James Franco to remember, oh yeah, I'm a Green Goblin now. I have to take Green Goblin revenge. It's it's nice of him to keep being in his films. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Willem Dafoe. So James Franco starts an elaborate series of manipulations. Um, He kidnaps Mary Jane and tells her that she has to break up with Peter, like kill his soul. I have to say I love this tactic a lot more than the beat up on spider-man tactic he just he goes full social sabotage here yeah it's pretty good um so uh mary jane meets peter on another bridge like all these there's bridges in this movie (laughs) she (laughs) needs him to break up with him yeah so mary jane's like i don't love you anymore i need to leave you and then peter's like what are you talking about and mary jane says i don't know i'm a pretty bad actress (laughs) sorry i just added that last part yeah (laughs) um and, and on her way out of doing this, Harry is hiding behind a tree and he's like, bravo. <laughs> yeah, just like smugly watching, having fun fucking with everyone. He, yeah, now that he's lost his amnesia, he's gone completely uh, handing it up again. <laughs> yeah, so then Peter and Harry meet at a diner, um, which is the best scene in the movie. This is the best scene, the pie scene. And since we all know that good lies build on truth, Harry's sort of using the last scene he had with Mary Jane to be like, oh yeah, we're hooking up now. Yeah, exactly. Peter Parker's telling his best friend, oh my gosh, Mary Jane broke up with me, and why did you call me here to talk? And then Harry's like, ha ha ha, I'm the other man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then... Peter Parker leaves, and then a waitress comes up and says, how's the pie, which we are to believe is in reference to maybe Mary Mary Jane's vagina. Yeah, and then so... He's uh, like, so good. He's like, so good, while he's still like chewing the pie. And then he's like looking back through the window at Peter Parker. Yeah, Peter Parker glances back. Across the street by now. And then a truck goes... Oh, he winks at him. Wink. A truck goes by. Passes and he's and disappeared. He God. And <laughs> yeah, Peter Parker just somehow. looks back at the camera like, what? <laughs> right. So then Peter Parker realizes that Franco knows. So he yeah. meets up with him at his penthouse. And I think this is actually the best fight in the movie because it has actual stakes um, as Harry and Peter try their level best to kill each other. Peter Parker fights Sandman twice, at least, and Harry twice. It's a lot of fight scenes, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's maybe too many fight scenes. It kind of drags down the film as a whole, um, especially the last one. But this one ends badly. But now Peter Parker's coming out with the zings. He's breaking uh, James Franco's spirits. He's like, oh, is a little gobby going to cry? Your daddy didn't love you. (laughs) Uh, uh, We both decided we really enjoyed this new bitchy Spider-Man, this new, like... Uh, yeah undiplomatic spider-man yeah cold and bitter spider-man in the (laughs) black suit and yeah basically he explodes harry it's pretty brutal oh yeah he catches his grenade and just tosses it back at him not knowing whether it'll kill him or whatever it's only spider-man doesn't care care. yeah (laughs) 
But we both thought um, that actually when Peter Parker is possessed by the symbiote, it works a lot better than when Topher Grace gets it later in the movie. Yeah, to- that's true. Topher Grace is pretty horrible in this film. Or I did not like this his character. He just plays the same smarmy, like that 70s show type character that he always plays. They go back to the Daily Bugle and Eddie Brock has uh, produced this new photograph of Spider-Man that shows him like robbing a bank. But really, Peter Parker it's realizes... Shoot. Yeah, he realizes it's been photoshopped. He says, I see pixels, J.K. Simmons. <laughs> and that's actually what happens in the comics, too. Um, Eddie Brock t- thinks he's taken a photo of Spider-Man committing a crime, but then he gets exonerated later. So in this case, Eddie Brock has reasons to hate Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Peter Parker says, you want forgiveness? Get religion. Which I thought was a hilarious line. <laughs> is pretty good but yeah so emo spider-man or sorry emo peter parker has now kind of like he rules the daily bugle because he's flirting with betty he got brock fired he demanded like double salary uh for his job now yeah we see again that jj has integrity because he actually fires eddie rather than let him stay on oh that's true but yeah there's this amazing sequence where peter parker's strutting down the street uh sort of reminiscent of the scene (laughs) in um, spider-man 2 but in this case, all the women find him physically repulsive. They're all sort of recoiling, yet somehow irresistibly attracted to him. Betty and Gwen are really attracted to him. Yeah, they're all like, what the fuck? There's something about him. <laughs> but then the women that see him like doing his strut, they recoil. And he gets a amazing black suit, so just like a regular black suit. <laughs> Oh, and of course, after all this, he's on the up and up, but we know he's really just under the influence of Venom. Yeah, everyone's going dark-sided. After all this, Sandman is still alive, alert. (laughs) Sandman is apparently unkillable. He just, like, keeps resurrecting (laughs) and building himself up. Once the sand dries out, you know, you're just, he's good to go. Which some might find existential, the fact that he keeps building himself up from nothing. Wow. Yeah, he keeps willing his sand particles to rejoin into Thomas Hayden Church. Of his dad bod form. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many webs, everyone is someone's Harry. <laughs> so then there's the scene in the jazz club, and Peter Holy has invited. Cow. Yeah, this scene was the fucking best, or the fucking worst, depending on how you view it. Yeah, Peter Parker bribes Hot Legs, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the Mater D or the host or something to go find them seating. Yeah, he calls them Mater D Hot Legs. He slips her a 50 <laughs> or whatever, and he's like, get us, some, get us a booth in the shade. Oh, and it's him and Gwen, right? Yeah, he's invited sexy Gwen Stacy over, and then MJ's there performing a song when all of a sudden, who should leap up on stage but a little Spider-Man? He's playing piano yeah secretly at first yeah peter's using all his powers like just like flagrantly leaping about and like doing pirouettes <laughs> and shit and just like jumping onto chairs saying now dig on this yeah there's like a close-up with, on with his thrusting. mouth it's like really elaborately almost like a gap commercial from that era like 90s era <laughs> of just like jazzy bullshit it kind of reminded me of the fake like yaz flute from uh, Anchorman. Oh yeah, it was like the Yaz flute scene in Anchorman. It's easily the most embarrassing <laughs> scene in the franchise because I don't know if it's supposed to be humorous or not. Isn't it supposed to be him being really horrible to Mary Jane? Immediately after the scene, Mary Jane's like, what's wrong with you? And then he gets into a fight with the bouncers and like uh, hits her by accident thinking somebody else. Oh yeah. She goes falling to the ground. And then Peter's like, oh wait, Spidey never hit a lady. It was an alien. Uh, exactly. It wasn't me. It wasn't me, girl. 
babe, wait. But no, yeah, he had brought Gwen there just to make Mary Jane jealous, I guess, because he knew she worked there. So that was pretty, pretty douchey of him. Yeah, but then Gwen's still sympathetic somehow. She's like, you did this just for her? Like, what's wrong with you? Oh, I thought she was mad because she left. She was like, oh, you did this for her, not for me, basically. She was. That's what I'm saying. Like, you can feel bad for her because she's just like sort of an innocent. Yeah, she doesn't get much part except to kind of be like, oh, Peter Parker's a cute guy, and then not realize, yeah, he's like dating this other lady. Right, so in the comics from the 70s, they sort of have this whole arc where like, Aunt May's sick again, Peter Parker's like wandering around in the days and in a cloud of his own thoughts, and you keep seeing all his classmates being like, what's wrong with that guy? Why is he so full of himself? That's sort of how, like, when Stacy's introduced, she's like, oh, that guy's such an asshole, but I can't resist him. That guy is such an asshole, but I can't resist, yeah. So then we do get some nice emo Spidey shots. He's all posed around this cathedral. <laughs> yeah. And somehow it's faded. We get all this, like, Catholic mass music. He, like, leaps up under the bell and starts banging on it, which somehow causes the alien to remove itself from him. And down below, Eddie Brock suddenly come in. Oh, I guess he's kind of fighting with it on purpose because he's mad at what he's become a little bit. Peter wants to separate from the symbiote. Yeah, and Topher Grace and him happen to go to the same church. Yeah, they have they attend the same Sunday mass, which we didn't realize this whole time. <laughs> Spidey's Catholic. <laughs> they have that other thing in common. <laughs> <laughs> so then the Venom shit oozes down the web onto uh, Eddie Brock. Who had just prayed to God to kill uh, Peter Parker or Spider-Man? Peter Parker, yeah. He wants Peter Parker dead. Which is the weird oh. part. Oh, because he lost him his job. He got him fired. Yeah, he wish it, he prays for him to die. Yeah, so this movie confirms that God is real, but he works in extremely <laughs> ironic ways, since we, the viewer, knows that Venom will die by the end. Oh, exactly. Um, and then we get probably what's the only cool Venomish scene in the movie, which is where Eddie gets possessed and he leaps out at the screen. Yeah, he has the full mouth and like Spider-Man. His mouth becomes very Venom-like. And that's kind of what happens in the comics first when it's on Spider-Man just looks like a suit and then it becomes more alien symbiotish after bonds with Eddie Brock. His heart was made of venom already. Yeah, and in the comics he always refers to himself uh, as we, like the royal we. Hmm. We hate Spider-Man, stuff like that. So now Peter Parker thinks he just got rid of venom, doesn't know that it attached to Eddie. Then Venom and Sandman strike a deal to kill Spidey. Yeah, so Peter thinks all his problems are behind him. Meanwhile, uh, there's a very, like, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin type scene where the two villains meet up and it's like, why don't we try to kill the bat, I mean, the spider together? <laughs> yeah, we can really take down Batman, I mean, Spider-Man, if we work together. So then it, like, sort of really rushes into the last little reel of the film, I thought. We have all the pieces in place, I guess. Everyone hates each other. Everyone's, like, tried to kill each other. Now they all really hate each other and then want to just kill everyone. Oh, and I should mention that Venom's power is that he knows everything that Peter knew. Like, he has all his memories from before. So that's how he knows who he is and how to get at him. Oh, interesting. But they don't really mention anything creepy. about so Venom Topher in the film. Grace, yeah, they don't tell you, they don't explain that. So yeah, Topher Grace probably knows a lot of creepy things about him. But yeah, every character's really been just brought down, like Sandman's uh, convict, an escaped convict that's turned into sand. He's just trying to get money for his daughter, like... Spider-Man's been brought down. Yeah, how will it all be resolved by, like, a really unmemorable sequence? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
So there's a horrible news caster bit with these two really cheesy actors who I'm not sure why they're so cheesy. Maybe there's like an extended cut where it's less ridiculous, but they're just keep being like, oh, there's this lady in peril. How will she be saved? And then like Spider-Man's getting beat on and they're like, this is hard to watch. So uh, there's like a Charlotte's Web type message that Venom has scrawled up in the sky. <laughs> Peter Parker's trying to enlist Harry's help, and he has like, half his face horribly scarred. He's the Two-Face. Somehow he's still alive, but now he's Two-Face. A creepy Bernard comes out from the shadows after Peter leaves and is like, I've seen things in this house I've never told anyone. I've seen them. <laughs> it's like, stupid Bernard, yeah. thank you for not telling me this way earlier when I still had half a face. When I still had, yeah, so after all of his revenging, now he's like, okay, I know who my friends really are. Thanks, Bernard. Yeah. <laughs> so we have one last cheesy New York buildup when Spider-Man's jazzing himself up to save Mary Jane. He poses by an American flag. They do another flyover. Go, oh, here's all the people of New York. There's the construction workers and cops and random schlubs. I did not like that part where all the people of New York were standing right underneath this whole fight scene with a giant sandman and all these construction equipment, and they're just, like, not even worried about stuff falling on them or that there could be stray debris at any moment or that the Sandman could fall on them. They're all just like, yay, cheering for Spider-Man. I think they made a dramatic mistake in this whole sequence when stakes are really small. It's literally just Mary Jane again. It's just Mary Jane. Yeah, even the first movie had the peril of, oh, all these kids might die. This one's yeah. just Mary Jane is in danger. I get the idea, yeah. like they just wanted to make it really simple and straightforward. Guy needs to save girl, but I don't know, it didn't work for me at all. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cheesy. And so, yeah, it's actually two guys fighting to save Mary Jane and two guys trying to kill Mary Jane. Well, I guess the Sandman's not trying to kill Mary Jane. They're just trying to lure Spider-Man in to kill him. Right. They have a four-way tag team up where it's Green Goblin, Spider-Man versus Sandman and uh, Venom. Yeah. There is a lot of good Sam Raimi-ish touches in the sequence, a lot of fast editing. There's the nice scene where Venom's kind of like sneaking around the shadows. When I heard, heard that Venom was going to be in this movie, I was really excited because if anyone knows how to do scary, menacing stuff, it's Sam Raimi. But somehow there's only like one scene that really takes advantage of the horror movie potential. So a lot of falling and fighting because Mary Jane is up in the air. Venom has a web like Spider-Man. Did he copy Spider-Man? When Spider-Man has the symbiote on, he has like a different type of webbing that shoots out the top of his hand. And then oh. Venom just keeps all the spider powers since it was like bonded with oh. him. Which doesn't really okay. make any sense, but you know. It's sort of like the okay. 70s, 80s cosmic alien references that they had in the comics of the, of the period. Right. So there's a really cheesy, uh, Sandman has learned a new power where he just like sucks in all the construction sand and he has all these bits of <laughs> cement and shit in him. And he's yeah. crushing down on Spider-Man who's being sacrificed in a very Jesus-y pose. So then Harry shows up and- Oh, Harry's the deus ex for that. Aren't you glad I came? And he's like, so, so glad you glad came. So glad you came. So glad you... There's a little more J.J. shtick where he tries to buy a camera from a little girl, and then he's like, where's the film? And she's like, that's extra. Oh, yeah. And he doesn't just smack the little girl. This annoying New York kid already selling fake cameras. Oh, wait, and I was thinking, didn't the crowd think that Spider-Man was fighting another Spider-Man since they had seen the Black Spider-Man? 
outfit Spider-Man and now Venom looks like that. There's some quick throwaway line where they're like, well, at first we had thought this was the new black suit Spider-Man. It's a, it turns out to be a new person. Some oh, they just thing. are like, oh, but someone else, we don't know how we know, but okay. Yeah, it's like really, that's what I'm saying. Like the third act's very rushed. I don't know why. Because the movie in total is like two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. Actually, until this uh, sequence, like until the jazz club, I would say the rest of the film had been pretty solid up until that point. <laughs> Even the pie scene? I mean, that was supposed to be cheesy and like sort of funny and ridiculous oh, okay. on purpose. Because <laughs> that's Sam Raimi's thing. There's some good team-up action, sort of pre-Avengers, where Green Goblin's tossing around Spider-Man and they're taking advantage of each other's powers. They'll take out the giant Sandman. But yeah, ultimately, Harry has to die the same way his father died, right? Yeah, so then they've taken out the Sandman and Venom's coming after Peter Parker. But then Harry heroically sacrifices himself. And we're like, oh, he could still be alive. But then he like gets thrown down this entire like (laughs) flight of stairs. It's like probably dead. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was like his dad got impaled by the spikes on the hoverboard or something. So he he dies. That's all very ironic. Yeah. So clearly, Harry and Eddie both have a death wish. Um, we get Spider-Man again, sort of taking out his enemies using his like wits instead of his powers. Yeah, in the second movie, true. there's just a really quick thing at, in, during the third act where you think there's going to be another fight. Instead, Spider-Man just tricks uh, Doctor Octopus into grabbing this electric line, which knocks out evil tentacles. <laughs> um, or in the first movie, he just like uses his reflexes to get out of the way of the glider in time, and just like that. In this movie, he uses his knowledge of acoustics to sort of bang all these metal together, it makes like this sound cage around the venom. See, creature. they should have been like, he should have been like, oh, I'm taking acoustics, this physics class, right now. There might have been a throwaway line like that at the beginning, but I don't really remember. Like, they mentioned it really briefly. Like, he might have been talking to Gwen Stacy about it. Okay, yeah, they were in some class together. Yeah, I... Yeah, anyways, so yeah, he basically figures out that the bell ringing upsets Venom. Of course, he has a similar weakness, like water. In the comics, uh, Venom has, like, a few different weaknesses, like fire and sound. Well, then you shouldn't go to New York, symbiote. (laughs) New York City. (laughs) And again, the 90s cartoon version of the story plays around with a lot more of that. Like, uh, I don't know, there's people with like sound cannons who are trying to take out the black suit Spider-Man and stuff. But yeah, so he traps him with sound. Yeah, Spider-Man traps Venom, like uh, uses his web to pull out Eddie and then throws a green goblin grenade to like blow up the symbiote. And Eddie, like you said, has a death wish, of course. He's like, no, and jumps on to the explosion. Which is weird, because I thought uh, I'd heard originally that they had been thinking of doing a Venom spinoff movie, so, like, why kill them off? <laughs> but whatever, it doesn't make any sense. I feel like you'd have way more self-preservation in real life, but okay, yeah. So Peter Parker uh, confronts the Sandman, who's, like, sort of been watching. <laughs> he was just watching in the shadows really creepily, actually. <laughs> Somehow it's Don again, and Sandman's there, and he's like, I didn't mean to kill your <laughs> uncle. Uh, so they show the real flashback, and of course, Uncle Ben's just being super helpful, being like, oh, you shouldn't have to do this. Just, like, take the car if you want, but you should put the gun away. You're going to hurt somebody. Yeah. And then uh, he gets startled by the other guy, and the gun goes off in his hand. So the whole thing was just a mistake. And Spider-Man's like, I forgive you. Do you get it? The theme is redemption yeah, and forgiveness. Yeah, I forgive you. You get and the then, theme. Uh, he shed a single tear and flew off into the sunset in a trail of sand. Yeah, it flies off to Naboo. Yeah, it was a really weird. 
ending to his character. He's just, did he get the money to save his dying daughter? I don't know. Right. We have no idea what happened to his family or his daughter. We don't really care. I kind of thought it would have been cleaner if he had just like sort of dissolved like purposefully, <laughs> yeah, like willfully. just sort of dissolved all his atoms, be like, I can only die yeah, if I will. Yeah, like it. you said, he had to keep willing the particles to come back together. So maybe I thought he was going to do the same thing, basically what Eddie did, jump onto the explosion and just be like, ah, oh, well, I, I can't save my daughter i'll kill myself too everyone just explodes yeah (laughs) basically every action you have has so many consequences he can't just be like stealing for his daughter or whatever yeah it becomes a zen buddhist he's like better not to do anything at all (laughs) so he ascends into the sky he flies off to the lost islands where he'll have fun with those people for a while so he gets a good ending maybe he gets forgiven. And then we thought, like, overall, the theme was definitely something to do with free will. Like, it's how all these characters are, like, tempted to the dark side, but then they realize that they have to be, like, true to themselves. Well, yeah, Aunt May tells Peter Parker, even when he's got Venom uh, attached to him, that he's a good person. He's a good person. So he's just destined to be the protagonist. But Thomas Hayden Church, is he not a good person for trying to save his daughter? But he is fated to be... Yeah the villain therefore these characters almost have no free will and they're just playing these roles these archetypes oh god (laughs) it is it is kafka-esque i just thought this one week we could have a time when we didn't talk about kafka and all his stories he wrote about men who wake up as bugs (laughs) oh wait yeah it's another film about a metamorphosis so yeah i think this film definitely suffered from like lack of a real vision it wasn't that cohesive like it was three-fourths of a good movie and then i like sort of stapled on venom like quick rewrite um it doesn't really end on like a good note or a bad note it just sort of ends on like a note of ambiguity like peter and mary jane share one last dance but she just sort of like dodges his kiss yeah you never see the ring from aunt may again you never see aunt may again so it's like maybe they made up i don't know and then harry's dead yeah they show like aunt may just like waiting like peter where's peter gonna pick me up (laughs) poor aunt may oh he went to dance with mary jane she's like always waiting for (laughs) peter yeah oh yeah he goes to dance with mary jane last dance with mary jane (laughs) huh so yeah i mean i think that this film it's all of its scenes put together because it was kind of clunky but you know what? I'm gonna. I, I like the message that Peter Parker is no better than Sandman. Everyone gets sort of leveled off like sand. <laughs> it's just dry, and it just gets everywhere. They crush down the sand castle, and then it's just like a field of sand that can form itself into a human if it wants, and imbued with human wow. characteristics. If, yeah, if that is an existentialist. I don't know what is because that would be like your existence. Oh God, existential uh, essence. You could choose your essence. Yeah. Sandman could will it to happen. <laughs> so yeah, not really a terrible film, but definitely like that last quarter just was unnecessary and they really wasted like the venom potential. Like they could have made like a whole horror movie out of it if they had wanted to. Yeah, it seems really hard to juggle uh that many storylines or that many people. Protagonists, antagonists. Yeah really they should have done a third movie not had any of the venom stuff maybe just set up the the like eddie brock character and then like at the end of this movie they could have had him bond with the symbiote then start the next movie and have a whole movie to like develop this venom character not just have it like grafted on with this terrible explain it yeah with this terrible like uh whatever that voice toy for grace was doing any of his like action antics weren't that entertaining like there was one scene where him and spidey are sort of falling down and he's like using a lot of his like venom powers like creating shields out of symbiotes and shit like that but 
aside from that, it's like not that yeah. arresting or interesting. He's not like the dark anti-hero like he's supposed to be. It was almost like uh, overly simplified, but also too complex. Is like too complex in that they try to take on too many villains and stories to tell, but then they try to make all of those people like everyone in New York. So in that way, it's kind of like oversimplifying New York City. So if they yeah. maybe just picked a like a good storyline, like you were saying, um, and not try to cover every quote unquote everyone in New York City, just really picked a good <laughs> angle and bang down on it or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think they should have kept that that really good romance angle between Mary Jane and Peter Parker. Yeah, that was my favorite make- part. <laughs> well, no, they did kind of make those characters unlikable in this one, whereas in the other ones they were like a lot more sympathetic. Sort of down on their luck, underdogs. Well, maybe they—it's meant that maybe they shouldn't be together because they both need too much attention. Right. So yeah, basically, like much like the Batman series franchise uh, pre Nolan, the Spider-Man franchise was rebooted in 2012 with the Amazing Spider-Man, where they replaced Tobey Maguire with Andrew Garfield and had Mm -hmm. Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sort of a different feel, uh, maybe more related to the high school years. Huh. Yeah, that was the end of the Raimi Spider-Man films. And then, of course, we have the recent Marvel iterations. Oh, yeah, it's going to keep going. But, yeah, Howard the Duck had this one beat for the first Marvel <laughs> movie. Oh, yeah. And this did really cause the new resurgence. Like, after or around the same time, um, X-Men came out. Then, they like, all the sequels. Uh, Daredevil, Electro definitely came out because of Spider-Man. Uh, there was oh, the original yeah. Hulk films. Early, early 2000s, yeah. Ghost Rider, basically all those films, they all came around uh, because of the Spider-Man boom. Well, do you have, I don't know, a take-home message of this film or a thought, final thought on this film? My take-home is that I love the take-and-bake Sandman cookie sheet that you just, like, scrape off the sand and, like, put in the oven, break off the cookies. (laughs) What? This is a product that was released for this film? I guess my takeaway is that the Sandman and Franco and Mary Jane and Peter story were pretty good, but then everything else around that's the really forced Venom stuff didn't work at all. Hmm. And overall, the thing seemed sort of forced. Huh, well, let's see. The Count of Monte Cristo is also about, like, revenge and forgiveness, and I was wondering if there's any kernel of truth there, any nugget of truth. I'm sure, um... Yeah, I'm sure all the screenwriters are always, like, referencing everything. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure that the theme of this movie was, like, sort of that revenge is like a poison. Yeah. So forgive and forget, just like Uncle Ben. Yeah, oh, that's a good takeaway. Yeah, forgive and forget. Uncle Ben's basically There you go. Uncle Ben's wise Jesus man. He's like, with great power comes great responsibility. And he's like, put down the gun. You don't have to do this. Yeah, stop killing and stop killing people, Spider Man. Stop killing people, Peter. I never raised you that way. Yeah, he You're really better needs than Aunt May or Uncle Ben as a grounder, as someone to ground him, or else he will just go willy nilly and kill people. Yeah, it just cuts Uncle Ben in heaven or whatever, being like, "What the fuck? Why is he just killing people now?" <laughs> I didn't die for your sins, so, so you could kill everyone. So yeah, maybe that's the lesson is when the baby boomer generation passes away, the millennials will have nothing to hold them back from their complete lack of ethics. There you go. I don't know how else to say it better than that. (laughs) That's going to do it for me for this episode of Cinemazing Chats and our chat on Spider-Man 3. Yeah, it was good chatting with you, Pablo. (laughs) Good chatting with you, Erica.